Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, a leadership development podcast told through the lens of Star Trek. And now here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome everyone. Thanks for joining me today. We're going to be talking about due process, the necessity of change, and I'm going to ask you to do something that can change how you look at your work every day as we watch the 15th episode of the third season of the original series, let that be your last battlefield. The Enterprise is on its way to Arianus. There's a bacterial invasion of the planet, and they've been assigned to decontaminate. It's no ordinary soap. It's antibacterial foaming hand wash. It's an urgent assignment, and they are speeding to it. On the way, they run into a Starfleet shuttlecraft that had been stolen from Starbase 4. They try to contact it, but but no success. So they use the tractor beam, pull it into the shuttle bay. There's just a single life form on board, so Kirk and Spock go to check it out. The remaster on this episode is gorgeous. The scene with the shuttlecraft getting pulled in just looks incredible. I love, I love how they kept the 60s aesthetic, but just, you know, kind of polished it all up. Honestly, like this scene alone makes the episode worth checking out. As they approach the shuttle bay, the door opens and a man, half black, half white, split right down the middle, collapses into the corridor. Now let's get one thing just right out of the way here. There, there's a complete lack of any security procedures or protocols through this entire episode. You know that whole discussion about how older movie and book plots just, just couldn't exist with modern technology? Like, I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, like the Blair Witch Project. Like, that couldn't even exist, right? Oh, no, we're lost. Hey, no problem. Let me check ways for the quickest way out of here. Problem solved. Or, or my favorite example, Romeo and Juliet. So, okay, <clears throat> let me get all Shakespearean here. Channel my Patrick Stewart. Ah, I'm not going to be able to, so this will just be terrible. I apologize ahead of time. Juliet just texts Romeo. Anon, as the light yonder breaks, I shall have a false death, forthwith our life together shall begin. Romeo texts back, Cool, cool, yeah, see you when you're up. Well, that's that's this episode. These guys really hate each other and will cause violence. Let's put them in the brig and put them under guard. And that's the show. Instead, we get what we'll see, and that leads to some not great stuff for the ship. But 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 I digress. Let's get back to the episode. Spock and Kirk are discussing this being, this person with McCoy. They're discussing his pigmentation, and they make two massive assumptions. One being about conflict. He is the result of a very dramatic conflict. And the other being that his color is some sort of a mutation. We must therefore conclude that this alien is that often unaccountable rarity, a mutation. McCoy shines again for us. He admits he doesn't, he doesn't know what he's doing. This is, this is an entirely new race to him, and Spock, Spock's just antagonizing him. Yet you are pumping him full of your noxious potions as if he were a human. This humility that we see from McCoy happens actually quite a few times, most notably in the film Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, when he tries to, uh, spoiler alert, tries to save Chancellor Gorkon. But his drive to heal is also a repeating theme. 
He doesn't have the specific knowledge of this race, so he goes back to the fundamentals. When in doubt, the book prevails, Mr. Spock. I've run tests. Blood is blood, even when it's green like yours. Have you ever been given an assignment that's beyond your skill level? Or, or maybe, even more challenging, have you ever had to assign something to someone that you know they don't have the skill to do and, and no one else really does either? Well, McCoy sets a great example on how to approach this. This isn't a direct leadership example, but, but just follow me here. I think, I think you'll see the correlation. Back in the mid-90s, I got to fill in as the drummer for a cover band. If you've ever been to a dive bar on the weekend, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The band playing on the little stage, tucked beyond the tables, playing all the hits from the 70s and 80s, a staple of the rock music experience. Back in the day, at least, this, this was actually one of the better paying gigs for bands too. The setup here was that I'd meet the band at load-in time, and the first time we'd ever play together would be the super quick sound check. No rehearsal. Now, I was still pretty young and, and, and really learning just, just kind of how to be a musician. I was still learning a lot of the standard covers out there. And I'll tell you, within two, maybe three songs, I knew I was in over my head. I didn't know a lot of the songs, or, or at best, I just didn't know the, the name. So when the singer said, here's our next one, it'd take me at least a few beats to figure out what he was talking about. So I did what McCoy does here. I just went back to the fundamentals. For most of these songs, they're, they're in the same time signature and, and relatively close in tempo. The big variable for each was the feel. Uh, is it straight ahead or does it swing? So like, is that more like, or is it more like, Between each song, I'd holler at the bass player. Is this one straight or swing? He'd tell me that I could at least fake my way through the first part of the next song. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd screw up the awesome pickup fill in LaGrange, but, but I only screwed it up once. And 99% of the way there is a lot better than me screwing everything up every time. So this can happen in the workplace too. You have to do a report with data sets you don't know or even recognize at all. Or you end up in a pitch and the person taking lead doesn't show up. You have to step in and just stick to the fundamentals of what you know. Identify the variables, which ones you know and which ones you need to know. Right? So what's the time signature? What's the tempo? Okay, I got those. I got those. Okay, I'll just, I just need to ask about the feel. And that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you're going to nail it. You're not going to be perfect every time, but you'll at least be able to get most of the way there instead of just letting the half black, half white person die in your sick bay. The person slowly wakes up. He's aware of the Federation, but, but just a little bit. He immediately aggressively defends his actions in regards to the shuttle saying his need for it allowed him to use it. Use it, he says. He's adamant that he did not steal that shuttle. Kirk, though, fires right back and tells him exactly what is going to happen. He's going to go in front of a Federation magistrate, and he's going to answer the charges. The person says their name is Loki. I am Loki of Asgard. From the planet Sharon. It's in the southern part of the galaxy. That's super convenient that we'll still be using cardinal direction points on a galactic scale in the 23rd century. Good to know. And then we get our first bit of overt racism. You monotone humans are all alike. And then he shuts up and lays down. This statement does two things for the episode. First, 
It establishes that all the weird speculating by Spock and McCoy about his appearance being a mutation was, was just wrong. And second, it lays the foundation for the examination of racism. Kirk is called to the bridge by Chekhov. There's a fully invisible ship tracking along with Enterprise. It flies straight at the ship and disintegrates when it hits the shields. We're on collision course. But the occupants somehow transported themselves onto the bridge. It's another beam from Sharon, also half black and half white. And, and it's the Riddler. I- Riddle me this. What do you call a sleeping bull? Answer. A bulldozer. <laughs> I mean, it's Beale, the chief officer of the Commission on Political Traitors. He is much more diplomatic and much savvier than Lokai. He explains his ship was... It was sheathed in special materials that rendered it invisible. Those special materials, for those in the know, were actually budget restrictions that prohibited them from creating a new ship model. And an elegant, if not very effective, solution. He explains that he's here to claim Lokai as he is a political criminal. We get a small glimpse into interstellar politics and civil laws. Kirk tells him that he can't release Lokai until he has due process. Later in the episode, we learn there are no treaties between Sharon and the Federation, so there are no procedures for extradition. Now, that's a lot of legalese if you're not familiar with due process or the implications of intergovernmental treaties. If you work as a manager, you've, you've honestly likely been involved in matters of due process, whether you're aware of it or not. In the United States, for example, many of our labor laws have their basis in due process, specifically when it comes to terminating employment or or even a contract for that matter. Put simply, due process is the expectation that legal matters are resolved according to established rules, principles, and procedures. And in my opinion, most importantly, that all individuals are treated fairly. Now, that's going to look different for each government, but, but at a high level, it, it really is that simple. Now, there's a ton of written material about due process out there. But in the United States, the high-level rules and the principles are documented in the 5th and 14th Amendments to the Constitution. Beale responds to this appropriately, professionally, but he goes on to explain that Loki has been convicted of treason and has escaped. Kirk allows him to see Lokai in sickbay, but reminds him that while he's there, he's bound by the rules of the ship. In sickbay, Beale gets right to the veiled threats. There's some masterful, masterful camera work here. Like when they show Beale, the camera is pointed up, so he looks tall, he looks authoritative. It creates the illusion that we're, we're looking up to him. But when it shows Lokai, it's shot from up high, looking down on him. This visual poetry establishes the power dynamic between them. Loci actor Lou Antonio does such a great job of acting through his makeup. His eyes and his must-up hair make you feel what he's feeling. It's that feeling of being hunted, caught in the hunter's snare. Kirk is there and he reiterates that Loci is going to go to Starbase 4. He has charges to answer to. We learn more about the conflict between these two. Raided our homes, tore us from our families, herded us together like cattle, and then sold us as slaves. They were savages, Captain. We took them into our hearts, our homes. We educated them. Yes, just education enough to serve the master race. You were the product of our love. I will kill your friends and family to remind you of my love. 
As we often have to do with the original series, we need to look at it through the context of its time. This episode aired January 1969. In the months just before this, the United States experienced the East L.A. walkouts, the Glenville shootout, riots at the Democratic National Convention, Tommy Smith and John Carlos being pulled from the U.S. Olympic team for giving a black power salute in Mexico City, the signing of the Civil Rights Act of 1968, and the murder of Martin Luther King Jr. To say that the message this episode is delivering was much needed is an incredible understatement. Heavy-handed? Yes. Blatant and in-your-face? Yes. Entirely appropriate, given the climate at the time? Absolutely. Really only addresses racism in a simplistic way and at a surface level? Unfortunately, also yes. Well, Beale attempts to attack Lokai eventually, but Kirk holds him back. Lokai shares his plan for all-out war when they return to Sharon. Beale insists they take them back to Sharon immediately. Kirk refuses and tells them, again, that they're going to be handed over to the authorities at Starbase 4 after they complete their mission at Arianus. Beale says, I'm sorry, Captain, that will not be satisfactory. Not at all satisfactory. After that, Beale's led off to his quarters and Chekhov hails Kirk to let him know they've lost control of the Enterprise. On the bridge, they are trying Everything they can. There aren't any mechanical issues. I simply have no control. Chekhov and Spock analyze the ship's course and realize they're headed to Sharon at warp eight. Beale barges onto the bridge. He claims that he's been chasing Loki for 50,000 years and that he is now controlling the ship. Loki follows quickly, causing Beale to almost use the episode title in the dialogue. This is your last sanctuary. They stare each other down as Kirk orders them both to the brig. Security tries to grab them, but they have shields that prevent it. They're, they're all but untouchable. Kirk and Beale argue back and forth about control of the ship, but, but somehow Beale is controlling it and there is nothing Kirk or anyone else can do about it. So Kirk does what Kirk does. He lays it all on the line. He says Beale will either return control of the ship or he'll initiate the self-destruct. I will destroy it. Beale doesn't buy it. So Kirk starts the process. This is a super tense scene. Lots of close-up shots on Beale and the crew of the Enterprise. Kirk gives his code. Spock gives his and Scotty. Scotty follows. The tension continues to build as the computer says it's awaiting the final code to start a 30-second countdown. Kirk asks if the ship has changed its course, and it hasn't. So he gives the code. Code 000. Destruct 0. The computer counts down while Kirk mocks Beale. Mine is the final command. Beale finally breaks, and Kirk stops the self-destruct at the last second. Beale sends the ship into a circular course, no longer heading towards Sharon. He says it's acceptable for Enterprise to complete its mission to Arianus, but asks that they go to Sharon afterwards instead of Starbase 4. Kirk refuses. I make no deals for control of this ship, sir. Apparently, game recognized game here as Beale returns control of the ship to the crew. 
Kirk, for some reason, allows the two of them to roam free around the ship. He explains the Federation has moved past the need to resolve issues through violence, which which is a message Kirk could have stood to hear back in the Devil in the Dark episode, among others. And they now believe in individual rights and expression. He does have a really great line here. I hope that you'll take the opportunity to know more about the Federation through its best representatives, my crew. How great is that? To give, to give the benefit of the doubt and make a small leap of faith here, Kirk, as the captain of the ship, the leader of his organization, is trusting his crew to not only keep the ship safe with these two on it, but for them to also provide an aspirational example. I mean, that's some serious confidence, and I kind of love it. The episode takes just a moment to make a thinly veiled and very accurate comment on racism. Mr. Spock. The word disgusting describes exactly what I feel about those two. We get some scenes around the ship of Lokai telling his story to crew members and talking about how Earth has no persecution, so the crew can't possibly understand. Chekhov and Sulu reflect on the primitive savagery Earth experienced in the 20th century. Very, very on the nose here, but again, given the time, I still believe very appropriate. Beale is having drinks with Kirk and Spock, where he is, once again, showing his diplomatic prowess. He's searching for common ground. One thing we are agreed on is that Lokai is a criminal. No, Commissioner, the one thing we're agreed upon is that Lokai took a shuttlecraft. And failing. Uhura interrupts with a communication from Starfleet, denying Beale's request to take Lokai directly to Sharon. They say that he can present his case at Starbase 4. Understandably upset, he continues to paint Lokai as a dangerous and violent threat. We then, we then get right to it. It is obvious to the most simple-minded that Lokai is of an inferior breed. The obvious visual evidence, Commissioner, is that he is of the same breed as yourself. Are you blind, Commander Spock? Well, look at me. Look at me. You're black on one side and white on the other. I am black on the right side. Lokai is white on the right side. All of his people are white on the right side. Both Kirk and Spock are great here. They have that facial expression you see, like, you know, when your friend is describing the latest conspiracy theory. And you don't, you don't want to, you know, be obviously disrespectful, but, well, you know. They keep at it and advocate for hearing Lokai out and trying to find common ground with him, much, much like Beale was doing with them. But he says it's useless. Lokai cannot change, so, so it's just a waste of time. Spock responds with one of the most powerful quotes in all of Star Trek. Change is the essential process of all existence. Let's dive into that one in the command codes. The Enterprise has arrived at Arianus, and we see Mr. Scott take the bridge crew through the decontamination procedures. Welcome. They complete the operation and head to Starbase 4. Well, until they aren't. Beale gives a maniacal laugh <laughs> and says he's burned out the directional control and the self-destruct. He's not only called Kirk's bluff, but shut him out of the game entirely. They're on course for Sharon, and there's no way to stop them. Lokai and Beale are arguing, throwing slurs. You're dead, you half-white! First pieces of bland flesh. I'll take you with me, you half-white. Kirk tries to reason with them as they get into a sloppy collar and elbow tie-up. They release each other, and Beale releases the ship. 
But Spock shares, well, they're already at Sharon. Scans reveal massive destruction. No life whatsoever. The people of Sharon have destroyed themselves. Beale and Lokai, they're all that's left. Beale blames Lokai and attacks him. Kirk, again, tries to reason with them, taking, taking the anti-Palpatine approach. Give up your hate. But it doesn't work. They're both off into the bowels of the ship. They're running and running and running. Yeah, this, uh, this is a very long scene. Shall I alert security, sir? No, Lieutenant. Where can they run? Again, hopefully a reflection of Kirk's supreme confidence in his crew's ability to protect themselves in the ship. As the chase is on, you can see the pain on their faces. Images of burning buildings and destruction overlay the scene. They're coming to terms with what has happened to their world. Lokai eventually reaches a transporter room and apparently knows how to use it as he beams himself to the planet's surface. Almost immediately, Beale follows. The planet's dead. Does it matter now which one's right? Not to Lokai and Beale. All that matters to them is their hate. Kirk decides to uh, just leave them to their own on the planet's surface and sets a course for Starbase 4. This really is an iconic episode of Star Trek. I mean, almost anyone that knows Star Trek is at least aware of this episode. But but can we be honest? <laughs> it's, it's just not very good. The pacing is uncomfortable. There's a, there's a ton of filler, and the messaging is so heavy-handed and superficial, it, it just doesn't really work outside of its moment in 1969. But there are some absolutely great things in here, too. First, Frank Gorshin and Lou Antonio, oh, excellent, amazing work in this episode. They really inhabited the characters that have been in each other's orbit for 50,000 years. And the makeup, I mean, this makeup was really well done. The outfits, pretty awkward, they look really uncomfortable, but, but the makeup itself was really just, just masterfully done. It survives the extreme close-ups and the HD remastering very well. The self-destruct sequence is notable too. The climax to Star Trek III is an almost beat-for-beat beat reproduction of this moment. Kirk's going to destroy Enterprise, and it is the exact same procedure, just subbing in Scotty for Spock and, and, and Chekhov for Scotty in the sequence. Code zero, zero, zero. Destruct. Zero. That's the stupidest combination I ever heard in my life! That's the kind of thing an idiot would have on his luggage. Beyond that, though, it's it's an average episode at best. I talked about the ridiculous security procedures. I mean, I mean, I mean, dude took over the ship and then he just gets to walk around checking out the ship, having drinks with the captain and the XO. <laughs> Come on. And then there's the nonsensical thread through the whole episode where Kirk and Spock, even McCoy, are insistent that these two are, are, are mutations and, and they must have been single colored at some time. It has no bearing on the episode itself at all. Like there's even a random line literally between cuts to and from the bridge about evolution. It's almost like Roddenberry just had these racial theories. He, he just needed to, to get out there for some reason. And then at about the 35 minute mark, it becomes clear. They just, they just didn't have enough content to fill the episode. The decontamination sequence is super long and nothing, nothing happens. I mean, it's cool to see Scotty in the big chair directing traffic, but it could have literally been a three-second communication. Captain, decontamination procedures complete. Thanks, Scotty. 
But it went on for so long. And the moment Beale and Lokai see what has happened on Sharon and take off through the ship was long and, and, and weird. Like they were running weird. Beale, Beale looked like he was in the last quarter mile of a marathon. And, and Lokai was running in this weird, just plotting way. Like I get they were trying to show them processing the horrors that happened on their home world, but it was just it just kept going on and it, I don't I just don't think it translated very well. I read somewhere once that iconic doesn't necessarily mean good. And that really sums this episode up for me. Command codes verified. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. One of the great things we saw in this episode was Kirk's confidence and pride in his crew. He basically called them the finest examples of what Starfleet has to offer. Now that's the kind of pride you should have in teams that you work with. We've talked about the mission on this podcast before, but what but what I wanted to go into here is the pride and the power that come when when missions are aligned. Let's start at the top, the United Federation of Planets or, or the Federation. Its mission is basically universal rights, liberty, and equality for all. Then Starfleet, which is part of the Federation, has a mission to explore the galaxy and to maintain order through paramilitary operations. And we should all be familiar with Enterprise's mission. Here's, here's I think, probably my favorite version, at, at, least, at least for now. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Kirk embodies all of this in his personal mission. See, his mission is to explore, to learn about, and experience the galaxy but also to ensure people aren't subject to tyranny or discrimination. All of these missions align beautifully, and that culminates in Kirk's statement about the crew. If his mission didn't align with Enterprise's mission and, and, and so up on you all the way, there, there's no way he could have created and maintained the culture that has created the best examples of the Federation. That brings pride, and that, that brings power. So what does this look like for you? Do you have a personal mission statement? If you don't, take some time to develop one. It can be it can be a transformative and very focusing activity. About 10 years ago, wow, 10 years, time time sure flies by. Well, 10 years ago, I worked with a mentor in a small group setting. He was tough. Like you couldn't halfway your way through anything with him. He asked us one question. Why are you here? Because we're or as he drilled down a little more when we were struggling, why are you here consuming the limited resources on this planet? One member of my cohort felt she'd landed on it and shared that her mission was to be a good role model and an example for her sons. That's noble, right? Commendable? Well, it wasn't good enough for our mentor, and he had a really jarring way of communicating that. He grabbed his mobile phone and acted like he had just gotten a phone call. Oh, they they did? Oh, oh gosh, yeah, that's that's terrible. I'll I'll let, I'll let her know right away. He put the phone back 
looked her straight in the eyes and said, hey, that was the school. Both your boys were hit by a bus and they're dead. So now, now why are you here? Brutal, but effective. Through that, she was able to see that her mission was to teach and to share her knowledge. Now, I'm still in touch with this person, and, and, and you know what's awesome? They left their prior role, and for the last eight or so years, she helps organizations develop succession plans and document that institutional knowledge that so many longer-term employees have. It's pretty great stuff. And this happened because she determined her personal mission and she saw that it didn't align with her current company's mission. So she made a change and now she is thriving. Now, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to develop and reflect on your personal mission statement and see how it aligns with with whatever it is that you're currently doing. Please spend some time on this and then reach out on the social media or in our Facebook group. Share your personal mission statement and then tell us how your mission aligns with your organizations. I I really can't wait to hear from you. And then Spock. Spock had that great line when talking with Beale. Change is the essential process of all existence. I think it was Benjamin Franklin that also captured this thought really well. When you're finished changing, you're finished. That's great stuff. Quotes quotes like that make for nice posters, right? But, But honestly, like what does it really mean? Well, I see it in two ways. There's the relatively immediate change that must happen to stay relevant or competitive. And then there's the slow, methodical, organizational and societal change that needs to happen as we learn more about the the human condition and, and other factors. The easiest way to relate to the immediate stuff, I think, is to think of technology. We are constantly updating software or patching for security issues or learning new tools. I mean, three years ago, I would have told you TikTok was just a Kesha song. And before that, I would have thought you were talking about Pink Floyd. Another example is the shift to online and virtual meetings. We've been doing them to some degree for well over a decade. But in early 2020, we all learned a new vocabulary and new ways to stay connected using these tools. I recently hired a sales manager, and one of my criteria was that they had to be presentable on video. Clear video, clear audio, understanding how to share a screen, you know, all that stuff. Our job skills used to say strong written and verbal communication, but now they need to say strong written, verbal, and video communication skills. In fact, for the executives I work with, I'm recommending voice or acting classes for them so they can look and sound engaging in the middle of a Zoom or a Teams meeting. We have had to change to compete, to exist in contemporary society. The slow change, the societal change is hard. It's hard, but it's necessary. An easier example to understand would be Dr. Deming's 14 points. These led to the implementation of management systems such as TQM or Total Quality Management, which opened the doors for Lean and Six Sigma, among others. And that's a change that's still catching on, really. These first really came to us in the 1950s, but organizations are still trying to wrap their heads around the concept of management as a philosophy and management systems. But, but it is happening. And those, the organizations that have embraced it, they, they tend to outperform those that have not. They are changing to continue to compete 
and to continue to exist. A few years ago, we thought of a good manager as someone that told people what to do really well. Someone that saw people as a resource. A resource to be cut when needed and replenished on demand. Now, we're understanding that people are the most valuable thing there is. Period. More important than the products we manufacture and sell. We're now seeing a good manager as someone that can create welcoming and inclusive workplaces that can connect people to the meaning of their work and that can coach people to reach and operationalize their potential. It's a powerful shift and another example of necessary change because because we're learning more. And when you learn more, you're compelled to do things differently, to change. So both Spock and Benjamin Franklin are exactly right. If you stop changing, if you're stagnant, the world will pass you by and you're both finished and barely, barely existing. Look, I am legitimately excited to hear about your personal mission statements. Reach out on Twitter at SFLA podcast or to me directly. I'm on all the social media at Jeff T. Aiken. Jeff T as in trader, A-K-I-N. And I'd like to personally invite you to join the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast group on Facebook so you can connect directly with me and others to discuss all of the topics in this episode. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. Season 2, Episode 18 of The Next Generation, Up the Long Ladder. I'm going to be honest with you, I actually don't remember this episode, so I'm excited to watch it. But I do know this is the first time on this podcast we're going to get to meet and talk about Dr. Pulaski. So don't forget to share your mission statement with us, join our Facebook group, and until next time, Ex Astra Scientia! Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid.